0: Hello. This is Ted Floyd. I am the editor of the American Birding Association's Birding Magazine, and I've been out birding for much of the past week. This is my favorite time of the year with the nesting season in high gear. It's also my favorite time of the year because I get to interact so extensively right now with young birders at ABA Teen Birding Camps in connection with the ABA Young Birder of the Year program and simply out in the field enjoying birds and nature together. This is also the time of the year when the ABA kicks into its Nesting Season Appeal, an urgent mid-year campaign to raise money for all our Young Birder programs, as well as the many public services like this podcast, which require funding beyond basic memberships. To contribute to the Nesting Season Appeal, please donate online at aba.org give or call us at 800-850-850. 2473 and give what you can. Programming at the ABA is highly cost efficient and your donation will go directly to resources for young birders and the whole community of people who care about birds and birding. Again that website is aba.org/give and the phone number is 800-850-2473. Thank you for ensuring a bright future for birds and for birders. And good birding to all of you. Hello and
1: welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. It is July 1st. If you're listening to this on the day that it drops, the day the northern part of the ABA area celebrates Canada Day. And with that in mind, we have brought to you a panel with some excellent Canadian birders from different parts of the country to talk about the birds birding opportunities there. I am excited to share that with you. But I do want to make a quick acknowledgement that for many of our Canadian friends, this Canada Day is a bit more somber, a bit more reflective than it has been in the past. Canada has been undergoing a bit of a national reckoning due to the discoveries of thousands of unmarked graves of children at a number of former indigenous residential schools in British Columbia, Saskatchewan and Manitoba so far. You might have heard about Kamloops, but it is an ongoing issue as additional graves are found in additional schools, even as we speak. I bring this up because some jurisdictions in Canada have canceled Canada Day celebrations because of this. It's very much a piece of the ongoing discussion in many places about how we remember history, how we acknowledge and educate ourselves about these and other incidences of, let's be honest, of what our cultural genocide, slavery, systematic racism Our frequently complicated and oppressive colonial histories and how we use that past to inform what we do now as we deal with anti-black, Muslim, and Asian hate and violence. So national holidays can be a bit of a time of reflection, but they are frequently still a time to hold up that ideal that a lot of us still believe in, that we move forward with change, true reconciliation towards a more equitable, united, and strong future. That is truly something to celebrate. I know that this panel thinks so as well. So that strong future includes birds, Canadian birds, and our panel is chomping at the bit to talk about that. We welcome Newfoundland's Jared Clark, Alberta by way of Ontario's Jody Allaire and British Columbia's Melissa Hafting. It's going to be a lot of fun right after this week's (laughs) Roberts. This is your rare bird focus for the end of June 2021. We have some very, very exciting news to share from Utkiakvik, Alaska. Perhaps you know it as the farthest northern town in the United States. An absolutely stunning rufus tailed rock thrush was discovered there last week. This is a potential first ABA area record, first for all of the Americas, for that matter. rufus tailed rock thrush is a gorgeous bird. I feel like I can't say that enough, found typically from the Iberian Peninsula in Western Europe all the way across Eurasia to northern China. It is a highly migratory species, wintering primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, so this is obviously a bit of an overshoot, a few thousand miles overshoot. Interestingly enough, this is not the first rock thrush to be seen in North America. In 1997, a blue rock thrush was photographed in British Columbia, but not accepted by the ABA checklist committee because of provenance concerns, which was Not a great decision in my view, but whatever. Interestingly enough, that bird was also seen in June. One more first to note, and in any other non-rock thrush week, it would be the lead story. A curious birder in Delaware posted a photo of an odd bird in the surf at Slaughter Beach in Sussex County and posted it to the ABA's What's This Bird group, where baffled birders identified it as an ancient murlet. A North Pacific species, albeit one with a good track record of vagrancy and several records in the Great Lakes, New England, and eastern Canada. This isn't even the farthest south record. Uh, there's one from Virginia in 2017. I'll also take a second to note that the Neotropic Cormorant invasion of the interior west continues. I noted that Montana recorded its first record of that species a couple weeks ago, but that was followed in short order by a second bird in Great Falls. So that makes Limpkin, neotropic cormorant and white-tailed kite on the watch list this year and with extreme heat in the pacific northwest it's perhaps easy to see what is driving these southern birds northward that's all i have for you this week but if you want to check out the rest of the rare bird scene read the rare bird alert every friday at aba.org rba you can also join the rarity sharing group on facebook to get that rare bird information as soon as it happens that's at aba rare bird alert Today, I have a very special episode of the American Birding Podcast. It is an all-Canada special edition, an acknowledgement to our friends in the northern part of the ABA area, a place that hopefully, as the pandemic continues to wane, will be open to birders and visitors soon enough. I do have to say, Canada is really killing it with regards to vaccine proliferation. I imagine that must be very exciting (laughs) to, to all of you. It's been a long pandemic season. My Canada panel consists of some birders that many of you probably know from this podcast or the wider internet. They are found across the wide swath of the nation. Uh, And we will go, I'll introduce them from, from east to west, the direction of the rising sun. So, first, you can't get any further east in North America than St. John's, Newfoundland, a place known for its amazing seabirds, vagrants. You might remember him from a previous episode about what they call the rock it is bird the rocks jared clark hi jared
2: hey nate it's great to be here
1: uh next it is our frequent voice for canadian birds on this month in birding and elsewhere he's the director of citizen science and community engagement for birds canada currently based in alberta welcome back jody Alaire.
3: great to be back nate
1: and away to the West, we welcome wildlife biologist, founder of the BC Young Birders program and the creator of the super useful BC Rare Bird Alert website from Richmond, British Columbia. Welcome, Melissa Hafting.
4: Hi there, Nate. Thanks for having me.
1: Great. You know, it, it occurs to me now uh, that it feels a little weird not to include at least Ontario or Quebec. So Jody, I may have you wear an Ontario hat as well since you lived there for so long. I hope that's okay.
3: Yep, yeah, I can do that.
1: So I brought you here for sort of a, a why you like to bird, where you live kind of conversation, but we can be more expansive than that. Um, the birding culture in the U.S. and Canada is very much uh, cross-border. Cross uh, there's a lot, of lo- lot to love about birding in Canada specifically. So to start off, I want to ask each of you about a place near your home that you bird frequently that feels really special to you.
4: Sure, I think I love to bird, especially in Richmond where I live, and I like to go to this park called Garden City Park. And especially in spring migration, because I like to see what new species come to the mm-hmm. park. And in this tiny, little postage-sized park in the middle of Richmond, which is a very urban uh, area, you get all these different uh, migrants and warblers and flycatchers that you wouldn't see anywhere else in Richmond. So uh, I always like to go there and see what rare bird turns up there.
1: Have you had good luck with rare birds there?
4: I have. I've found. I mean, nothing major, but mm-hmm. like red nape sapsucker, northern water oh, cool. thrush, um, things like that. That you just don't know. A dusky flycatcher, oh, things yeah. like that. Nice. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a few spots locally here in uh, in Drumheller that I like to bird. Like I've got a, a local a local park near the house that I bird basically every day. And uh, and like Melissa, it's sort of a fun place to to see migration as it happens, as as migration is moving through. So uh, that's always fun, and that certainly kept me occupied for the pandemic. It's been <laughs> uh, it's it's been nice to have that patch. And, and let me tell you, the the eBird bar chart for for this hotspot <laughs> is just off the charts. Um,
1: yeah. It's nice to get every single week if you're like, like what else have we got to do? Honestly. No, that's right.
3: And that's <laughs> basically yeah, what I'm doing, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, but you know, locally there's just so much here in, in Southern Alberta. And, and I will say one of my favorite spots just outside of the town is, is this place called horse thief Canyon. And I, and I popped in there first thing this morning, just to, to take a listen and, and see what was around and, and do some audio recordings. And, and it's pretty incredible because it's, it's this beautiful open badlands. Like that's, the, the reason the Red Deer River Valley and Drummilly are so famous. so It's the dinosaur capital of of Canada, one of the big dinosaur sites in the whole world. And this exposed, amazing sedimentary rock. It, th- this whole area is just, it's beautiful. And it's got a unique bird community, which is super fun. So I can go in there and, and get this really neat mix of birds, which I think is a unique combination on a Canadian perspective. So there's you know, rock wrens and Say's Phoebes and mountain bluebirds and lark sparrows. And and today when I was in there, I had an, a bird I've never had <laughs> going into the canyon. I had a pair of long-billed curlers uh, come over prairie level and fly right over my head first mm-hmm. thing this morning uh, while I was in the canyon. And, um, and I know they breed locally, which is a treat, but man, it's always great to see those birds. They're absolutely just ridiculously awesome birds. Yeah. To,
1: to Jared, and I, so my, my Canadian birding experience is relatively light, but I have been birding in Newfoundland with Jared. Um, prob- I may have been to the place that you might, uh, you might choose as one of your favorite local birding places.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any surprises for you there, Kate. <laughs> Um, You know, one of the amazing things about living where I live in St. John's is that um, a couple of North America's most spectacular seabird colonies are basically right on our doorstep. Um, And in a normal year when I'm leading tours here, um, you know, every week, sometimes several times a week, I get to visit the Whitless Bay Ecological Reserve with more than four and a half million breeding seabirds, including, you know, more than a half a million puffins and, you know, several, you know, hundred thousand common myrrh, thick-billed myrrh, northern full myrrh. And just a couple of hours drive away is Cape St. Mary's Ecological Reserve with, you know, the incredible scenery, but just that that absolutely amazing northern gannet colony. That that's in a normal year, and but since last year, since you know, obviously we've been closed to tourism, and I haven't been leading tours. It's given me a chance to sort of switch my focus and explore some different places that I, I don't often take tourists. So, um, just this morning, for example, I was you know checking out some some of the back roads in, in a small community just outside St. John's, um, you know, in in the forests, and it's it's amazing because what this morning did is it reminds me how fast. Things move in the, in the, the mm-hmm. world of birds, and some of these warblers, of course, migration happens like lots of things. It sort of arrives in Newfoundland a little later than in many places, so it feels like some of these warblers just arrived just days ago. But already this morning, I was seeing them carrying food, and I, you know, I, I found a couple of active nests. Um, so it's just yeah, it's incredible to get out there into those beautiful forests and, and see how quickly life moves on. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's amazing.
1: I uh, realized it was almost exactly two years ago. That uh I was up there, so uh, I have very vividly in my mind what it was like or what it is like right yeah. now,
2: yeah, it'll be popping up in my Facebook memories very soon I think. <laughs> very soon,
1: <laughs> I know right, I know right um is there a particular bird that you see, maybe it's somewhat regular, maybe it's not, that really stands out to you as sort of emblematic of of where you are
2: Oh that's a. Th- Tough one. I mean, you know, I think the cliche answer is the Atlantic puffin. It's our provincial mm-hmm. bird. It's it's sort of it's it's so fun to watch. It's it's iconic. Um, but you know, I really am when it comes down to it. I I just I love getting out into those forests. And um, you know, one of the birds, and I don't get to see it as often, but it it's to me it's the sound of the boreal forest, the eastern boreal forest, and it's great cheeked thrush. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one that uh, in fact I I was looking for that this morning and, and didn't find it. So that's that's sort of you know one of the birds that to me um, it, it maybe goes undetected a lot, but it's it's certainly iconic of of this place that I call home.
4: Well, in BC, I mean, for us, it's the Stellar's Jay for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's our provincial bird, and uh, it's a beautiful bird. It has so much character and. I, I just love to go see, him, see them up on Cypress Mountain or Seymour Mountain. What's good about living in BC here is we have, you know, the mountains and the ocean. So we have, you know, birds of two different habitats. And I was just thinking about how Jared said the bird, the warblers came back a bit. They come back later there, but he's already seeing them nesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently I found a common nighthawk nest oh, out cool. at a place I love, um, Iona uh, Regional Park, which is a great birding hotspot out here where we have... Um, all shorebirds and nighthawks nest there and stuff like that. And I thought it was early because the nighthawks, they come back here the end of May and they're of course decreasing here. And uh so to see them nesting so early in in June was pretty, pretty neat. And so I just love seeing those things like that, you know, going out there finding nests. And yeah, I just love living on the ocean here on the Pacific coast. <laughs>
3: yeah an iconic bird is this a tough one for for Alberta uh, and I can give my thoughts about what I for Ontario I suppose too but
1: yeah so we, <laughs> we shouldn't forget Ontario.
3: <laughs> yeah um, Alberta is such a diverse place, right So I live in the prairies and the badlands right and uh, and so you know to me, you know, an iconic bird, especially for the Badlands would probably be the rock wren, right? It's sort of the ringing Mm -hmm. sound you hear all day, even when it's like 40 degrees, which I think it's supposed to be next week. Um, you know, the rock wren will be singing. Um, but we also have the mountains, right? The mountains and the boreal forest. And and you can sort of pick an iconic bird, um, you know, in each one of those sort of (laughs) sub habitats, but I'll say locally, you know, for me, it's, it's for sure rock wren and, and, uh, and I think, um, and maybe golden eagle as well. uh, really lucky to have them sort of nesting here and also uh big migrations of them in uh, the Kananaskis area, the the front range of the Rockies, which is a real incredible spectacle. So but for Ontario, so I did grow up in Ontario in central Ontario and uh Peterborough and Algonquin Park area. And um uh and for me it's you know growing up in in that kind of Canadian shield uh, mixed, you know, white pine, sugar maple forest, it's it's, uh, I would have to say it's hermit thrush, um, hearing hermit thrush, you know, um, every evening as a, as a, as a kid, uh, at the cottage. So I think, uh, I think hermit thrush is what I would call for iconic for, at least for, for central Ontario.
1: Yeah. I'm struck that, that two of you chose, uh, the provincial birds. And, uh, it just reminds <laughs> me that, uh, Canada has so much better. Like, the provincial bird situation is so much better than, uh, the state bird situation here, here in the U.S. I mean, You've, every every province and territory has their own bird and they're not like 15 northern cardinals and, and northern mockingbirds. So I do have to <laughs> say that I'm sort of jealous. Uh, that's the fact. Clearly more thought went into it than they did down
2: here.
3: <laughs> yeah, I was avoiding saying the provincial birds, essentially, but I'll, <laughs> I'll have to give a shout out to like great horned owl, like fantastic yeah, bird for Alberta, <laughs> right? Uh, they're everywhere. And, uh, you know, common loon in Ontario. So I think it's hard to get more iconic, I suppose, of a bird than, yeah. than the common loon. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> i should have maybe just added those as a caveat right off the top i guess
1: yeah if you're hosting a a guest to your part of the world is there a particular place i I imagine i i I actually know this answer for jared because i I got to go to this place but if you're uh if you're taking someone out um to see or doing a loop or trying to see as many you know interesting birds in your area as possible like where would you go and what would you see
4: Sure. For me, I would take them, well, as long as it's shorebird season to Boundary Bay to see our spectacular shorebird migration. And uh, we just get so many cool shorebirds. Even in this uh, the spring, we got white rump sandpiper and curlew sandpiper. Um, So that was really cool. And I was one of the people who found the white rump sandpiper. And uh, yeah, it's a great place for shorebirds. So that's probably my favorite thing to do here. Yeah. And uh, if you're coming to the West Coast, you definitely want to see our great variety of shorebirds. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm actually really jealous on the West Coast because that, that you know, Pacific Northwest, the Oregon, Washington, British Columbia part of the continent is the, the one part that I have not done any birding in. So I had, like a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of uh, birds to see there. I think that mm-hmm. the Alcid the, uh, situation is almost better and I, I sorry, I did not mean to, to throw stones at you, Jerry. but the Olsen situation in British Columbia is, um, is, is, is really spectacular.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing to see. Like, I love seeing the rhinoceros auklets mm. and, yeah, we get ancient murrelets and marbled murrelets. It's, it's wonderful. And if you do pelagics um, in the summer, we've had Scripps muralettes and we had Guadalupe murrelet in yeah, one of our pelagics. Cool. So that was really awesome. Yeah,
1: it's pretty up there.
4: So, yeah, I would get also people to go out on a pelagic yeah. if they can. Because we've seen some great birds. <laughs>
1: Those Tofino pelagics are um, have uh, a reputation for turning up some really fascinating things.
4: Yeah, we've had short-tail albatross a few times, and yeah, it's just incredible.
3: That is on yeah. my post-pandemic uh, bucket list for sure. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> I'm dying to get out there, Melissa. Do a pelagic. It, uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't wait. So uh, I'm 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 coming with you, Jody. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah, seriously, it'll be. Uh, it'll be incredible the stuff you guys find out there on those trips just amazing right now
4: it'll be awesome to have you guys
1: how about you jody where would you take a visitor
3: yeah um so for sure in alberta it, we're like we're spoiled it's it is so beautiful here <laughs> right it's like a lot of people want to go to the mountains and yeah the mountains are amazing and there's some great there're obviously some really fantastic fantastic birds to find in the mountains but I actually would, if someone was coming here, I would take them to to two places. One would be the Frank Lake uh, Important Bird and Biodiversity Area, which is an incredible place for uh, shorebirds and marsh birds and waterfowl and grebes. And it's just an incredible place year round. Um, But it's just a wonderful place to see all those amazing prairie waterfowl in in their finest looking garb, um, doing all the courtship stuff and there's a uh, Western grebes. There's a Clark's grebe right now, which is pretty cool. So that, that's a really fantastic place to go. But I really love like the dry arid grasslands out here. I feel like they don't get quite enough mm-hmm. love. And I would definitely take uh, someone out to the, the real kind of dry, legit short grass prairie that you can find sort of east of Brooks and Southeast of Brooks, Alberta. Um, and to see, you know, chestnut collared longspur and Sprague's pipette and, uh, and thick billed longspur doing their unbelievable display flight and song, um, get it you know sort of get attacked by marbled godwits and willits is what, which is what they do even if you're not near a nest they just come after you. Um, that experience I think is is one I think all birders should try to experience. The 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 real grassland specialty experience is really amazing.
1: How about you, Jared? You can't choose. Uh... Cape St. Mary's or Witless Bay. Oh, boy. Well, you have to do something. I'm going to take the two big ones off the table. Well, I kind of, I am going <laughs> to
2: throw out to those because that is somewhere that <laughs> yeah. everybody wants to go. And, it's true. Uh, Absolutely. You don't have to be a birder. It's
1: worth it too. Yeah. It's worth
2: it. And you don't have to be a birder to appreciate those amazing spectacles of just millions of seabirds and, you know, maybe a few whales thrown in. Um, yeah. but that being said, I think um, the other place that I would take somebody, especially if they're willing to check out another part of the island that you didn't get to see, Nate, is over on the mm-hmm. west coast of the island uh, to Grossmore National Park. And that place is, I mean, it's known for its beauty and its amazing scenery. Um, but what it also has is a, is, a, is a real diverse set of habitats within one national park, which go right from you know from coastal right up to the Long Range Mountains, which are an extension of the Appalachians. And it's all included in the park. So it's just an incredible diversity of habitats um, it has some of the most diverse songbird life in the province. So lots of the things that we saw here on the East Coast when you were here, Nate, like, you know, Boreal mm-hmm. Chickadees and Black pole Warblers, but also lots more, um, you know, things like Swainson's Thrush and morning Warblers, a lot of the things that aren't so easy to see here on this part of the island. Um, and I've, I was just looking yesterday, Jody, at some pictures of you and I at, on the top of the Long Range Mountains with um, rock ptarmigan. And some of that incredible mm-hmm. scenery that we enjoyed when the fog finally cleared that day um so that's you know that to me is another iconic part of the island um that a lot of people just don't get to enjoy if they only come visit sort of the the, the saint john's eastern part of the island um and it's amazing for so many reasons and and the birds are certainly part of that
3: i, I will second jared like how amazing Gros morn national park is it is absolutely an incredible place and that uh that trip that you and I and Derek Whitaker took to to, to see rock ptarmigan, like hands down, like top 10 birding experiences all time. Like that was, that was absolutely uh, stunning. Not only like my third and final (laughs) ptarmigan for North America, but just that whole location is just, is just beautiful. So, uh, boy, that seems like a million years ago, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredible. I was thinking about that trip. Like I said, looking at the photos just yesterday, an amazing time.
1: I'm, I'm struck by how the relationship that you have with some of these birds is fundamentally different from the relationship that maybe some of us further south have. Um, you have all these breeding birds that are sort of resident summer birds uh, where you all are that um, I typically see or a lot of us typically see um, just very briefly or and even if we're lucky. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I don't know if it says anything about uh, the birding world or, or how you think about those birds, but uh, I think it's important to note you know, how important Canada is in terms of being like this incubator for so many of North America's and the the America's uh, bird species.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've often thought about that, Nate. And and one of the things that I always find different is is people will ask me about, you know, songbird migration in Newfoundland. And Mm -hmm. I've been to places like Point Pelee and, you know, Southern Mm -hmm. Ontario where migration is is such an amazing thing. It's passage migration. Um, But we think of migration so differently here in Newfoundland because we're a destination. There's very little passage migration. So for us, you know, migration is the arrival of birds that we're then going to get to enjoy all summer long. And there's just as much excitement about, you know, the the late June and July period of seeing these birds in their habitat and singing as there is, you know, for the, the, the very short migration period at the beginning.
3: Yeah, I would say, you know, just for an Ontario example, just so we can sort of cover cover it out, and I think this goes <laughs> for, for Quebec as well, is that one of the places I would really recommend that people would go to is into the boreal forest, right? Into the real bird nursery where a lot of these warblers and thrushes are going. Obviously, Newfoundland is is basically all boreal, but, you know, the North Shore, Lake Superior, um, you know, and uh, Puckasaw and, and uh, north of Thunder Bay, and then You know, the same with Quebec. If you get, like, you know, north of Quebec City and you get into the boreal forest, that's when you, that experience of having just not that passage of all these warblers that you get on migration, but to have them all singing and on territory and and just to experience that is, I think, is is really special. And it it is, I think, part of the Canadian birding experience is that we do have these amazing uh, boreal forests where a lot of these birds... um, you know, spend those few very important months during, during the summer. And it's absolutely worth spending the extra time to experience that.
1: Is there a part of birding in Canada that I mean, I'll pose this question to all three of you um, that is that you have been to that is not where you live currently, but you think is very much sort of a, a quintessential Canadian birding experience?
2: I mentioned in my last comment about Point Peely and, you know, Mm -hmm. Point Peely for whoever's not familiar with it. And I'm sure most people are is sort of the Canadian mirror of, of Maggie Marsh. And it's, uh, you know, for those of us who do live in, in more northerly parts of Canada, where we don't see a lot of passage migration to go, there is almost a rite of passage. And it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's an incredible experience. Um, And I think that for any Canadian birder, really, that, that is, it's sort of the Mecca and it's somewhere that you, you have to at some point in your, birding career um, to get there to experience that? That's a tough
3: question, Nate. I'm really struggling with it. <laughs> Like, my mind is spinning. Um, I can think of, like, parts of every province that are sort that's of true. fit that, right? And, and part of me is like, well, I think, you know, the stereotype of uh, being somewhere where there's lots of lakes in a northern forest and there's loons calling in the evening, I think that's, uh, that's sort of a quintessential if not stereotypical Canadian <laughs> experience, but it really is special, right? It is it is really an amazing thing to experience. But I, I, I might have to throw out to spending if you get a chance to spend some time in the Canadian Arctic, or or you, you get a chance mm. to be north of treeline in the Arctic and experience all these shorebirds um, that we see migrating through are there nesting, you know, with with snow buntings and and uh, Lapland longspurs. I think the the arctic is is really really special and uh, and i know you can obviously get a taste of that in alaska as well um but the the canadian arctic is is something if if people get the chance um uh, canadians or otherwise to spend time up there it's it's it is really really powerful place yeah
4: and i also think that uh people should try to get up to the yukon as well mm-hmm. uh that's an area that's really underbirded, but people like cameron eckert and Yuka there they're finding yeah just great things all the time. So yeah, the Canadian North is just really underbirded and really amazing. If you can get there, Northwest Territories, Yukon, those are great places. And Nunavut, like Jody said, in the Arctic. Yeah. Do you
1: have any um, thoughts about the the kind of Canadian birding community? You know, every sort of region has its own birding culture. I, I do think that it's more of like an ABA area birding community. There's so much similarity between um, the U.S. and Canada, and we certainly care about the rare birds that that people are seeing in, in each other's country. And, and is, is birding different in B.C. compared to Ontario?
4: Well, one thing I think is different between Canadians and Americans is how we do, um, you know, the winter listing. I think that's really different. Um, we, we love doing winter listing, and I think that's not so big down there, if I'm right. Do you think so, Nate?
1: I've never done winter listing. Yeah. I don't even know what it oh, is. Oh, you're missing okay. out, Nate. You're
3: missing out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: Maybe
1: we can start it. It can be a thing.
4: Yeah, we just try to see as many birds as possible in the winter because, you know, there's not that much going on. So <laughs> yeah. that's what we do. And in BC, we get to see much more than they do, of course, in, you know in the East. But you can get quite good winter lists out here.
1: Is there a, is there like a specific date when winter listing starts, or it is is it like the first snowfall to
2: the thaw?
4: No, there is a specific date. Um, Jody, yeah. do you have it?
2: It's it's the meteorological winter, so yep. December first to to the end of February. Okay.
4: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Oh, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing a winter list. Yeah. And then you've got your year list turning over right in the middle of it, so mm-hmm. there's just a lot going on.
4: But otherwise, I I feel we're just the same. Like my friends in Washington, we we all behave yeah. the same. I think.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when when Vancouver had that run a couple years ago of uh, a lot of uh, rare birds that are sort of showing up, I think there was a, I this like a, the Phil Fair and a mm-hmm. Siberian accenter and the Citrine Wagtail. This may have been a while ago mm-hmm. now. Now that I think about it, and uh, yeah, I know people cross. Cross borders to go see him it's not even a, a thing to really think about other than the you know the minor weight at the yeah, border to exactly. get
4: over yeah and we all went down for when ryan miller found the swallow-tailed gull in seattle every i think everybody in B- bc went down for oh that.
1: right on yeah, yeah 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 uh here's a question that i got online from uh john galuzzo who asks what is canada's best primarily unknown birding
3: spot uh, unknown to who
1: <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> uh, to everyone, to anyone, to birders, to North American birders, to American birders, to even Canadian birders.
2: Oh, that's it's a, a tough real one. tough one, Nate, because yeah, I mean it's such a huge country yeah. with such a it's such diverse, you know. Right. Like for me, um, you know, and I've I've done lots of birding in the east. I've done very little in Western Canada. Um, and that's an area I want to explore more, but I I've made just one trip to the prairies. And I visited Grasslands National Park Mm -hmm. in southern Saskatchewan, which at the time was, you know, a fairly new national park and was empty. I almost had the whole national park to myself. And it was incredible birding, especially (laughs) for, you know, a guy from the East Coast. And uh, so I think there are lots of places that are in some ways, you know, very accessible and and well known, but not necessarily to birders for just how special they are.
1: Yeah, I think Grasslands and, and Jody said something along those lines uh earlier uh are sort of underrated by everyone just sort of generally
4: <laughs> yeah i'm not sure why cuz they have the coolest birds and and grasslands national park like what jared's saying is true every time i've gone there it's just never been many people and it's an amazing spot just amazing
3: <laughs> yeah it, it might be part of the the canadian birding story like you know we've got a smaller population than <laughs> the in the us and and there are a lot of places you can go birding and you you really don't see a lot of people which is quite special. Like, obviously mm-hmm. there's the big ones, right? Like long points where I spent a lot of time and, and point Peely and, and, yeah. uh, you know, there's just sort of those known sort of migration spots, but there's all sorts of gems out there. Right. And, and I'm sure mm-hmm. if we all put our, put our heads down, we can come up with a list of 20 or 30, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in the greater Vancouver area and, and it's in around Calgary, right? Like of, of places, <laughs> uh, of great places to, to go that are, that are just being caught on. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's a great, it's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> unknown, really good unknown birding spots. You know, I think one of the the joys I get of being out here is, is birding in places that aren't, you know, really covered that extensively or e-birded at all by, by many other birders. And that's, that's kind of fun. Um, although I have to say the Alberta e-bird mm-hmm. community is, is, is growing like crazy. There's so many uh, new birders really? and, and new e-birders in Alberta and it's really fantastic. And a lot of younger birders as well. Um, it's really uh, uh, Alberta's really just bringing it the the, the past year, the past couple of years uh, in terms of you know national birding community wise. So shout out to my fellow Alberta birders. It's really uh, yeah, it's great <laughs> and and seeing all sorts of great records from all these amazing places in in my own province that I have never even been to yet. So that's kind of that's yeah. kind of a fun thing.
2: Yeah, and there's just something similar going on here. And and a shout out to to Jody and Birds Canada here because. Um, you know, one of the things that's happening in Newfoundland is that we're in the second year now of our first breeding bird atlas. And that is even even now oh, yeah. with you know very limited data, it's opening my eyes to lots of amazing places and, and the you know the distribution of birds within the province that we didn't know of before. And now there's you know, my bucket list within my own province is sort of sort of grown by leaps and bounds. You
1: know, speaking from an American perspective, um my map of Canadian birds is very much informed by rarities. So, uh, you know, I, I know about the Avalon Peninsula, although the geography of the Avalon Peninsula was sort of unknown to me until I visited there a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, the northern shore of the lakes and, um, you know, the, some of the areas around, around Vancouver and uh, Vancouver Island, Jody, like the the Prairie provinces are very much sort of a black hole in my uh, my birding content. I'm embarrassed to say, um, but maybe I could say the same about some of the northern um, northern states. Yeah. What what do you think that American birders should know about birding in Canada?
3: Well, yeah, that's a great question. I think I think there's there's lots of opportunity. (laughs) It's it's you know pretty pretty stunning. People are very friendly. I think the Canadian prairies do offer a really uh, different birding opportunity than than the, the grasslands that you get in, even in the U.S. And I think one of them um, mm-hmm. for me here in Alberta is that you can, in a single day, you can go from boreal forest uh, and have, there'll be, you know, <laughs> great gray owls and uh, blackback woodpeckers and uh, palm warblers, you know, um, in the morning. And you can be in the prairies in the afternoon and you can be in the mountains by evening, um, getting Clark's Nutcrackers um, and uh, Mountain Chickadees, mm-hmm. and you can do that in in the northern in the northern prairies, right? You can get that sort of boreal to grassland uh, experience, and I think that's really cool. The, so the diversity you can get in a, in uh, in a day or in a weekend is, is is I wouldn't say unparalleled, but it's it's pretty amazing. It's it's pretty fantastic.
2: Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty similar situation, you know, on the East coast as well, you know, all through Atlantic Canada is, you know, that lots and lots of, you know, boreal forest that abuts right on, onto coastal habitats and, and, you know, island habitats and grasslands and in Newfoundland, you know, we've got, and, and, you know, this from experience, Nate, we, we went from boreal forest to coastal habitat to subarctic tundra in the matter of, you know, two hours burning. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the, you know, the, The proximity of of all these diverse habitats is, uh, yeah, I mean, in my limited experience birding in the States, I I didn't see anything like that.
4: Well, BC has so many, you know, different birds. Like we have Eastern breeding birds up in the peace. We've got down in the South, we've got where I live in Vancouver, you know, the shorebirds and the mountain birds and seabirds. And then you go up into... Four hours up into the Okanagan and we have the grassland birds like sage thrashers and yep. western kingbirds so uh, we just have a huge amount of diversity too we have the boreal forest just two and a half hours away um, where you can get boreal chickadees and stuff like that in Manning park and so yeah we ha- we have to drive a little bit further because our province is uh, you know so big but um <laughs> very big the the amount of breeding birds in in BC is pretty spectacular
1: um is Province birding or county birding as popular in uh in Canada as it is in, in the States?
4: Yes, it, it's really big here. Especially in Vancouver, yeah. a lot of people do the Metro Vancouver yeah, yeah. county listing. Yeah. Um and then there's yeah, uh BC listing is is huge here. So people love to get their lists. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's just interesting because the the Canadian provinces are so much bigger. Yeah than a lot of U.S. states. You know, U.S. states are, many of them, with a couple exceptions, are, are relatively small and relatively easily traversed. Um, but I don't know if I could say that about Ontario, which stretches you know, all the way up to the Hudson Bay, and certainly the Prairie Provinces, which are certainly vast north to south.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it's provincial, provincial listing, sure. You know, uh, county. Listing, I think eBird is, is certainly encouraged more of that, right? I, I think there's definitely yeah, an eBird effect that. Yeah. on uh, yeah. on on that kind of listing, yeah, but uh, for sure. um, But yeah, and I think I think it's done also in a casual way. You know, people like to see new birds they've never seen in, mm-hmm. in their own province, and um, or people really just want to cover their local patch really well. I think. Many of us did that by default the over the past year. <laughs> right. uh, and, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's certainly, it is certainly very popular. It, it's not everyone, you know, t- takes it to that level for sure. But, uh, you know, it is, it is kind of fun. Uh, and I think, again, you know, I think eBird has really spurred that on a lot.
1: I know, Jared. You were talking about your island list when we were up there. Yeah,
2: for sure. You know, that's you know, I I keep lots of lists, like lots of birders. But my my Newfoundland, the island of Newfoundland list is is the closest to my heart, and uh, you know, it's probably at least in part because it's so darn hard to get off the island. It's not easy for me to, you know, I can't really chase a rare bird in Nova Scotia at the drop of a hat, even. Right. But uh, but I you know I'll go anywhere on the island for 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 a lifer. So, yeah, I mean, certainly yeah. the, the provincial lists and across Canada, everyone I know uh, keeps a provincial list for sure. Counties mm-hmm. really aren't recognized much in, in certainly not in Newfoundland and Labrador, but, you know, even in Atlantic Canada, you know, I don't know county birding to be all that popular yet. But uh, but provincial birding is, is is the bomb. Yeah.
4: Yeah. In B.C., though, it's county birding is really popular, especially in Vancouver. Very competitive, mm. too. <laughs> I'll
1: bet there's a lot of yes. birders there, yeah, yeah. including uh, you know ABA board member and Nightingale. I right, know she She's cares about that stuff
4: in Victoria. yeah. It's weird because
1: you know Canadian birding at once feels extremely familiar, but you know I do think that a lot of American birders perhaps don't have a real sense of what's going on um, in Canada to their to their loss. I think
2: it is a different experience, but it's all within the ABA region, and it's an amazing yeah. way to sort of travel. Relatively close to home for most American birders to just come mm-hmm. up here and enjoy some of these birds in a totally different context.
1: Yeah, you know, we were talking about that when we were in Newfoundland. It's like not a ton of lifers for a birder who's been, you know, birding the ABA area for a long time, but the experiences, the spectacles, all that stuff is really, really incredible.
4: I feel like uh, that the American birders, they like to, you know, they like to chase their ABA lists and stuff, but if they can get the same birds in the lower 48, they'll, they'll, pick that over than coming to Canada and I think that's um I totally understand why it's less expensive and it's you know it's in your home country but if they can come up here to see some of these birds they definitely won't regret it because like Jody said the people are really nice the birds you get to see them where they're breeding and Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a special place to come visit so I encourage them to.
1: No language barrier either. Yes. Well, there can be. There <laughs> <Yeah. probably.
4: laughs>
1: could be. Yeah, depending on where you go, I guess.
4: <laughs> Quebec and New Brunswick.
3: I have to say, the, all the big year accounts, you know, and all the big year blogs and, and all the, the big year books, I think Canada really gets shortchanged, doesn't it? In those, those big year, just A to build bit. on what little Melissa bit. was yeah. saying. Yeah. It's like, you know, they'll go they'll go around to Melissa's Neck of the Woods, the Vancouver Island, Vancouver area, to probably get some yeah. amazing Asian rarities. And they, they have to go see Jared out in Newfoundland. Um but otherwise, yeah. <laughs> Canada is, is sort of never <laughs> a factor in those ABA big years, which is, which is a shame.
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the rarity centers, the vagrant centers in, uh, in the Far East and the Far East. That seems to be where people go. But you're right. You know, some people do Canadian big years. I mean, someone just recently broke the record, didn't they? Not a couple of years ago, if I recall. Yeah, i you know, there, yeah. there
2: There haven't been many attempts. And I know um, an Ontario yeah. birder, Bruce Delabio, started one last year. But of course, we all know what happened last year. And uh, so <laughs> right. yeah, so you yeah. know, I think he was poised to to do really well, but it, it didn't work out. And I know Jody and I, and that's not to let the cat out of the bag because it would probably never happen. Jody and I have talked about doing a a joint can of the big gear sometime, and uh, you know maybe when our our kids are grown and where the wives let us loose again, it'll it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> we got to retire, Jared. We need to retire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Um,
3: <laughs> but your job is birdie. Yeah, your jobs right. are birds. Yeah. Now so we're super lucky. Like it feels I like. <laughs> um, certainly love my job. Uh, you know, and I have to say, like, and maybe um, instead of the, just the pitching to Americans to, to come up here, but um, I think even just a message to Canadians, and I think it's, it's slowly getting that way, but, you know, people kind of think of, you know, wanting to go to destinations to go see birds elsewhere, but there's so much to see mm-hmm. in Canada as well. And, and I certainly, would strongly yeah. encourage a lot of Canadian birders no matter where you are um, in the country to go to other parts of Canada to go birding like there's well I've said a lot about the prairies and how incredible they are and 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 <laughs> how they just, they just don't get the love I think they they deserve but you know there's so much to to experience in in Canada with Newfoundland and those amazing seabirds Ontario with incredible arguably the best migration spectacle in North America for for you know, songbirds and warblers, you know, occurs on the North Shore of Lake Erie. And uh, obviously we've got the Boreal Forest. You know, BC is worth visiting even if you're not a birder <laughs> because it's so incredible and so beautiful, <laughs> right? And yeah. Vancouver is such an awesome place. So, um, you know, there's a lot to experience. And and certainly I'll say again, if, if, you know, if Canadian birders get a chance to go up to the Arctic, and right on Melissa for mentioning, you know, Yukon and Northwest Territories, you know, Yukon's near the top of my list of places I haven't been yet and I can't wait to go. And it's a really really interesting area so there, there's a lot here you know and uh and i hope we'll get to a point when we all get to travel and experience it again and get get through what this past year has been it's uh, it's kind of fun to think about that
1: yeah i do have one more question uh coming from online uh, from gabriel foley who is uh, another prey province birder that he lives in the states now why does it seem like the boreal forest is so overlooked by most bird conservation organizations
3: yeah, it's a it's a huge, hugely important place. It's it really is the bird nursery. Um it's also a massive mm-hmm. area that yes. covers, you know, you know, right across yeah. northern Canada. And it's and it's generally within an area that's uh there's not a lot there's not a ton of accessibility really to get a lot of bore. Like there is, yeah. like there's certainly it's accessible, but fairly remote, right? So that it does present some challenges. Yeah. But yeah. Gabriel's right.
1: I think people underappreciate how big it is. I mean, we're talking like an Amazon, an Amazon-sized forest. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah.
2: massive. I think that's part of what makes it so easy for people to overlook because it seems so huge yeah. that pe- you just imagine yeah. how can we ever make a dent? How can we ever damage that? But you know, the, as huge as it is, it's being it's being fractioned off. It's you know, climate change is having huge impacts on on the boreal forest mm-hmm. breeding species. Uh, so I think it's it's easy to overlook, but it's as as Jody mentioned, it's uh, the importance of it is cannot be you know sort of exaggerated.
4: Yeah, when you think about how many birds are breeding there, it's just mind blowing, and it's so it important is. that we protect it. And a lot of the Canadian organizations like Birds Canada, Nature Canada, they're all they're they're definitely talking about it and tr- working to conserve it.
1: Yeah, I, I asked this question on, on Twitter, I think, some time ago, Jody, and we had a short correspondence about it. During the summer months, does Canada have the highest number of individual birds in the world? I think it's yeah. arguable. I think you can make that case. I'm pretty sure it does. When I mean, you think of millions upon millions, like almost the entire, entire populations of so many different species.
3: Y- yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's such a great question. <laughs> I remember putting probably way too much thought into that earlier. <laughs> right. it's, uh, you you certainly could make a case, it, but it's, it's, it's tough to know too, right? Cause especially when you're talking about the boreal and, right, you know, you look at, uh, you know, you think about Russia and, uh, and Asia, like it's really yeah, tough right, to, right. but, but I think th- there is an argument in terms of species and, and potentially abundance as well, that Canada is, if not at the top, certainly up there. And I would love uh, for someone yeah. to. To weigh in at some point that's done the math
1: <laughs> to uh <laughs> someone to, needs to do the math first <laughs> to, to, con- to
3: confirm that but no it's, it's it's a great question and i think it's yeah you know canada is is very very important and we do have this big nursery and i think it you know it also needs to be said that we've got these really important habitats they need to be protected but we also you know looking at our bird populations even by gills or by groups we already know in canada there are certain groups of birds that are in, are in big, big trouble, you know, and some of them are tied to habitat. So grassland birds yeah. right across the board um, in Canada are, are one of the fastest declining groups of birds. Aerial insectivores like common nighthawks and chimney swifts, um, less tied to a particular habitat, but are also, in fact, the fastest declining group of birds that we have in Canada. So, you mm-hmm. know, there's a there's a lot of conservation work that needs to be done, both on the habitat scale, but also to, to sort out um, the factors that are causing declines in 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 some of these birds, so it's it's uh yeah, there's a lot of conservation work to be to be done. I think we have a real responsibility, you know, especially with the boreal forest, to look after these birds and do what we can to protect them.
1: Thank you so much, Jody, Jared, and Melissa for joining me. I hope everyone listening who maybe didn't know uh, a lot about birding in Canada are interested in birding in Canada. There's a lot going on there. there's a lot of fantastic birding. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks so much, Nate. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, so great to talk
3: uh, with everyone here and, and to talk about Canada's birds. Thanks very much, Nate.
1: The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it by joining the ABA. You get more, like our great magazines, discounts to partners like Beauty of Books and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and opportunities to travel with us. Get information at aba.org. join If you want to help out even more, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. We certainly love to hear that. And you know, the best way to help support podcasts is word of mouth. Share this podcast with your friends that you think would enjoy it. I do want to make some special shout outs to Jason Beeson and the Beesons of Lander, Wyoming, Daniel Moore, and the Moore household of Seattle, Washington, Heidi and Dave Horvitz of Casadero, California, Jennifer Gill of Washington, D.C., Megan Foyle, Pleasant Grove, Arkansas, Mike Henry and family of Tucson, Arizona, and Morgan Chapel of Salt Lake City, Utah, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you so much. It really gives me a great deal of joy to read these names at the end of every episode. And the fact that they keep coming makes it even better. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who notes that it's been one year since the AOS split Steiniger's Scoter from White Wing Scoter. So it's the first spring that Alaska birders get to observe this Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia. <sighs> technical production is by john lowry who is partial to mcgee marsh but won't deny the point Peely, can't be beat especially if you want to get your binoculars on various on varios. <sighs> all right additional help from david hartley and greg niece who know how difficult that telling those ptarmigans apart can be especially in the winter but if you really work at it you can you can find us online at aba.org and on the various social medias as american birding association or aba i really had to dig deep for some of these. And I want to apologize to my Canadian and American friends for the horror that I have inflicted upon you. I know you deserve none of it. Questions, comments, corrections come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swig. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. We'll see you next week.